Let's turn in our Bibles this morning once again to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. As we look at part 2 of what we began last week, dealing with not worrying, living free from worry. Worry cripples us. Worry distracts us. Worry hurts us. Worry causes us undue pain and tension in our lives. We know that we're not supposed to worry. And we know that as Christians, we're supposed to focus upon God. We've learned that in Sunday school since we were children. I remember uh, when I was just a boy, I remember having Sunday school teachers that would talk about how we're not supposed to worry about anything. But we're supposed to give all of that over to God. In fact, the idea of not worrying and giving everything over to God is kind of Christianity 101. It's one of the most basic truths. It's one of the most basic things that we learn. It's one of the most basic things that we know. But it's hard to do. The question becomes, if we know all this, what keeps us, in fact, from doing it? Well, it's the usual culprits. It's the usual suspects. Pride, stubbornness, lack of trust, lack of faith. All those things that we already know. We should have learned from our past mistakes of not putting God first, the importance of now putting God first. It's sad when people don't learn from their mistakes. It's sad when we don't learn from our mistakes. Someone has wisely pointed out that there's no educational value from the second kick of a mule. And I think that's well well uh, taken. Any way you want to look at it, worry is inconsistent with faith in God. For a child of God, worry is not only unreasonable, it is actually sinful. It's not just <coughs> a bad thing, it's not just a distraction, it is actually a sinful thing to worry when we shouldn't be worrying. The world's hope and the world's trust are in the things of the world. Therefore, they worry about the things of this world. At least the world is consistent. For the non-believer, this world is all there is. That's all there is. There's this life. There's money. There's possessions. So it is a big deal if they have a heart attack or if they get cancer or if they're growing older or if they don't have enough money. Or their job isn't all that it could be. That is a big deal if this world is all there is. But sometimes Christians also act like this world is all there is. But we know that there's more than just this world. The people of the world worry about all the basic things that Jesus talks about here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel 6, 25 down through the end of the chapter. They worry about food. They worry about clothing. They worry about housing. They worry about insurance. They worry about automobiles. They worry about appliances and furniture. They worry about retirement. They worry about children. They worry about grandchildren. They worry about money. They worry about their job. They worry about school. They worry about friends. They worry about their extended family. They worry about their neighbors. They worry about the weather. They worry about the stock market. They worry about gas prices. They worry about terrorism. They worry about politics. 
And the list goes on and on. But if you do not have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what else is there for you in this world other than material things? The world seeks as much pleasure as it can, while it can. The world is hedonistic. The word hedonism means extreme pursuit of pleasure. And that's what the world is. We live, when you hear people talk about we live in a hedonistic culture or a hedonistic society, that means that we live in a society that is in extreme pursuit of pleasure. What is the world about other than that? Well, that's what it seems to be all about as people are striving so hard for that pleasure. We hear the mantra from the world, well, you only live once. You just live one time or you just go around uh, one time. You got to grab for all you can get. You got to go for the gusto. You got to make the most of it. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church concerning those who did not believe in the resurrection of Christ told them that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we might as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But as believers, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that Christ died on the cross so that we don't have to be tied to all the superficial garbage of this world. All the things that are rusting and rotting and blowing away in the wind. We don't have to be tied to those things. Instead, we hitch our wagon to the Lord because he's going somewhere. He's taking us somewhere. He's taking us to heaven. He's taking us to that place where our worries will be no more. That place where we'll live with him for all of eternity in glory, worshiping him. But God's children are not to worry about the things, the cares of the world. Why? Because we know there is a resurrection. And we're busy seeking God's kingdom first. Now, what Jesus taught sounds so simple on one hand, but it's far from simple and easy to accomplish. It takes a tremendous amount of determination to truly trust and rest secure in knowing that God will meet all of our needs fully. And he'll take care of us if we simply put our faith and our trust in him and seek his kingdom first. I invite you with your Bibles open to take them and stand with me as we read our passage from today, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this passage that encourages us to trust you more and to set worry aside. We pray this morning that you would help us be able to do that. Help us to learn how to do that from this passage. 
We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated. First thing we notice here is that we're not to worry because God already knows our needs. God already knows our needs. God is omniscient. God knows everything in advance. There is not a need that you or I have of which God is not already aware. Sometimes we find out, we'll tell somebody something, we'll make a confession to someone or we'll give them some information that maybe we've been dreading to give to them. And we tell them and they say, well, I already knew that. Somebody else already told me or I figured it out on my own. And we have worried and worried and worried about telling them, but they already knew. Well, guess what? God already knows everything about you. He wants us to confess to him, not because he needs the information. He already has the information. He wants to do it. Why? Because confession is good, as they say, for the soul. It's important for us to confess our sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1 9. God wants us to confess. He wants us to come clean. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to put everything out in the open before him. The problem is, is that we set our mind on earthly things and our earthly kingdoms that many people are trying to build. The same earthly kingdoms that we're told are nothing more than wood and hay and straw or stubble. We get distracted by the things of this world very easily. You ever tried to talk with someone? I remember one particular night that stands out in my mind. Me and another man went out on visitation and we were trying to talk to this guy. And I was really hoping and praying before I went there that I would have an opportunity to share Christ with this man. I knew he was lost. And he was so engrossed in the television, he would not even hardly take his eyes off of it. And and you'd say something and he, uh, huh, oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. I, I, and it was it was terrible. He was distracted. But I thought, you know, that's a picture of how people are with the world. It's like a television is always on and they're glued to the television and they're not listening to those around them that are trying to tell them important things like the truth about the gospel of Christ. That's the kind of world we live in, one that is distracted. It's a world that is also distorted. The world looks one way, but it's really another. It looks glamorous to some people. It looks like a good thing. It looks like it's going to go on forever, but it's not. The world is looking at itself through distorted lenses. If I put on a pair, those of you that wear glasses, I actually, I don't have a lot, I don't have everything going for me, but I do actually have good eyesight. That's one thing I do have. I could put on those of you that have a strong, uh, uh, strong glasses or whatever, I could put them on and, and it, everything would look distorted and distracted. I'd be distorted to me. You could go into a fun house at an amusement park. You ever done that before and look into one of those mirrors and they make you look short and fat or tall and skinny? Well, you haven't changed. You're still the same person. You still look the same as when you went in. But in one of those crazy mirrors, you look different. You're distorted. Now, someone could go in there, a teenage girl, and say, Oh, my goodness, look at me. Oh, look, I look terrible, and go running out of there crying. 
But then she could look in a regular mirror and say, wow, no, everything's okay. You see how silly that is? But yet that's exactly what people are doing. They're looking at this world as though it were important. They're looking at God's word as though it wasn't important. And they're looking at God, their creator, as though he wasn't significant. Why? Because everything in this world is is changed. It's distorted. It's not what it really it, it appears different than what it really is. Here is the reality for a Christian. God clothes the grass of the field and he will clothe you and he will take care of you. Why do we struggle to believe that? It's because, as verse 30 says, we have too little faith. There's the answer. Very simple, short and sweet answer. We have too little faith. What does the Bible say about faith? Well, it says that faith is the promise of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. It has been written of faith. It is not a frame of mind, a conviction or assurance. It is something you do in view of who God is and what he has said. The walk of faith is the walk and behavior of a people. It's the, it's the walk and it's the behavior of a people whose hearts are set on obedience to God. They do not necessarily have assurance about the outcome of their obedience, but they are sure that they cannot bear the consequences of disobedience. Faith isn't a conviction or assurance. If we already had that, we wouldn't need faith. But yet, the truths of God are said to be absolutes. And so faith comes in where we place our faith in believing and trusting that God has got it all taken care of. Everything's, uh, everything is in, in proper perspective and balance. Right there in that 11th chapter of Hebrews in verse 6, he says, But without faith... It is impossible to please him. <clears throat> Excuse me. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Is it always easy to have faith and exercise faith? Well, very rarely is it easy. It's hard for us. It takes discipline. It takes practice. It takes a lot of determination on our part to always practice Faith to the degree that we should. One of my favorite all-time quotes comes from the great pastor, J. Vernon McGee. He pastored the Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles for many years and wrote an entire commentary series called Through the Bible. Uh, it was known for his radio broadcast, uh, Through the Bible, with J. Vernon McGee. And he said this. He said, a long time ago, I learned to just take God by the hand and keep on walking in the dark. I thought, what a great illustration of faith. We take God's hand, we're secure, we, he's got his grip, he's got, we've got our hand in his hand, and we can't see what's going on, but we're trusting in God to lead us through that dark place. We know he can see the way where we can't. That's faith. That's trust. There have been experiences in my life where I've had, had, had faith and exercised faith, and there have been times when I didn't, and I should have. Remember years ago, God had been impressing upon my heart. I had, had started pastoring I'd, right out of college, and I, I wanted to go to seminary and continue my education, and, 
and kept looking for a door to open for that. And I kept praying about that and asking God to open that door. And in my mind, I felt like I I couldn't just take a step of faith. I had to have a job secured. I had to have a church to pastor secured before I could just pick up and go and, and, and do that. And so a few years went by. And I kept waiting and praying and waiting and praying. And I remember just being in anguish sometimes in my prayer saying, Lord, please open that door. And when it all came down, I just finally had the courage one day to say, I'm going to resign at the church I'm serving and we're going to pick up and move. And we rented a U-Haul and we moved from Missouri to Indiana, southern Indiana. And I enrolled in the seminary and started working on that degree. All the things I'd worried about, all the things that my faith had been low, all the areas where it had been low, God proved that my worries were all unfounded. I was worried about finances. And come to find out during the time I was there in seminary, our finances were better, actually quite a bit better than they'd been when I'd been back at that church that I was holding on to with such a tight grip. I was, we were worried about leaving our friends and we didn't want, we didn't know anybody there. Well, we moved there and we had better friends before long than we'd had even better than the ones that we left behind. Everything worked out. Now, was it easy? No, it wasn't easy to take that step of faith. Wasn't easy to, and there's a lot of details I could give you in the story of things that happened and difficulties that we had particularly in getting there and in the early days when we first got there. But God worked it out in, 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 a, in a way that it wasn't long afterwards. I could look back and I could marvel at what God had done. And I would have said, I could have never imagined that it would be this way. Why? It, it, was a, it had to be a step of faith. And I had all these worries and all these concerns that kept me from doing what God wanted me to do. For a few years. And finally, when I took that step of faith, God worked it all out in a, in a beautiful way. Just like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, all these pieces, they look, you know, I'll never put that together. And finally you get it done and you think, wow, what a beautiful picture this made. Notice next. We're not to worry. Because we are to seek God's kingdom first. And we see that in verses 33 and 34. Worry always stems from putting other things in first place instead of God. Let me say that again. Worry always stems from putting other things in first place instead of God. The world is caught up in the rat race. Talk about this rat race of life. Well, guess what? Christians need to drop out of that race. We don't need to be a part of that race. People are racing or they're speeding to nowhere, except off a cliff, perhaps. You are not going to win the rat race. Let me tell you right now, those of you that have been involved in it, you are not going to win the rat race that is this life. God wants us to be involved in something that is important. And the things of this world aren't very important. God wants us, in fact, to get involved where we're guaranteed to be successful. Seeking God's kingdom first has got to always be our priority. 
What is your priority today? A few years ago, the Ford Motor Company had kind of this ad campaign. Maybe you remember it. It was simply this. Ford, quality is job one. Now, it pains me to use that because I'm a Chevy guy, but it actually was a pretty good campaign. Quality is job one. Many companies have had campaigns to the effect of the customer comes first or the customer is right or quality is our, is our, our, our top priority. If they were completely honest, they would say making money is our top priority. But they are a business after all, so I guess we can give them somewhat the benefit of the doubt. But what is the top priority for a Christian? What is our number one thing? We're told right here in verse 33 to seek God's kingdom first. To seek God's kingdom first above all else, above everything. Seeking God's kingdom first is losing ourselves in obedience to the Lord to the extent that we can say with the Apostle Paul, as he said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to me in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemn, solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That is losing yourself in favor of God and putting his kingdom first. To seek God's kingdom is to pour out our lives in the eternal work of our heavenly father. Most people, most Christians even treat the kingdom of God as just one of many aspects of their lives. It's what we do. We've got certain things we do on Mondays and Tuesdays and Fridays and Saturdays and every day of the week. And we got certain things we do on Sunday. And giving God his time is one of our Sunday activities. Or maybe it's one of your Wednesday activities. Or maybe it's one of your Christmas activities or your Easter activities. Or your Mother's Day or your Father's Day activities. That's not putting God first. That is... Having God as one of your activities, one of your things, just like all the other things that make up your life, your favorite television programs, clubs and organizations, reading, watching TV, the things that you do, socialization with other people, the work that you do, mowing the lawn, painting the house. That's not putting God's kingdom first. That's not seeking his kingdom first. First. Now, we do those things. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. But how many times do we prioritize these other things above seeking God's kingdom first? People tend to worry, and they place all of their worry right there. People tend to worry about what will happen tomorrow or next week or next year. But Jesus taught that there's no need to worry about those things. They're beyond your control anyway. Instead, focus on today. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of its own things. It'll, 
There'll be enough worry tomorrow for tomorrow. But you just focus where you should be focusing for today. Sufficient for today, he says, is its own trouble. In the book of Exodus, we learn about the children of Israel and how that God provided for them with the manna. But they had to go out and they had to gather it when? They had to go out every single day and they had to gather it. They were to, every day, come face to face with the reality that we would die without any food and the only food we have is coming from God And we've got to go out every day and be reminded of that. God wanted to provide for them daily. Their daily sustenance came from God. Give us this day, as Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, our daily bread. Just as He provided for the children of Israel. God wants to provide for you. That's why He wants that daily relationship with you. He doesn't want you to operate from Sunday to Sunday. If you're doing that, you're severely malnourished. And you're really in bad shape if you operate from Christmas to Easter and from Easter to Christmas. You're nothing more than a skeleton, spiritually speaking, if that's the case. God wants a daily relationship with us. He wants to provide daily for us. And you know what? If we find ourselves depending on God daily we're a whole lot less likely to worry. The cure for worry is seeking God's kingdom first, putting God first, placing God as the top priority in our lives. We depend on God. However, I'm not sure that we depend upon Him daily like He requests of us to do. Generally, I think we depend on Him, but I'm not always sure. He desires that, though. There are plenty of things to worry about in our lives. And worry can choke things out. You think that little weed that comes up, not that big a deal, but that weed quickly grows and it chokes out the stalks of what you really want to grow. And you have to weed your garden. You have to weed your flower bed or it will start choking out everything. Those weeds are worry in our lives. God is saying to us, stop worrying. And depend upon me daily. Are you depending daily upon the Lord? Have you committed your life fully and freely over to him? You're never going to be free from worry. If you don't give it all over to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, we pray that you'd help us to live lives that are free from worry. And we all can testify to how easily worry has choked out Um, our faith, how easily worry has debilitated us, how easily worry has hurt us. But Father, we don't want that. We want to be free from worry. We want to depend more and more on you every day. We want to do, as your word says right there in verse 33 of chapter 6, to seek first the kingdom of God, And your righteousness, O Lord, and all these things will fall into place. All these things will be given over to us. All the things that we desire, all the things that we really need. Let us trust, let us depend on you like we should. Maybe this morning there's someone here who's never given their life over to you. And that's a big part of why they worry. 
They've been trying to bear all their burdens alone. Today, maybe they would step forward in faith and say, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to try that anymore. I want to give it all over to the Lord. Maybe there are others here still yet who would say that, I know God has led me here to this place, and I want to step forward in faith, and I want to unite with this church body. Maybe there are other needs amongst those here, and we pray, Lord, that you would meet those needs like only you can. Bless now, we pray, in this time of invitation. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.